Well, again, good morning. I'm Tom Dabasinskis. If you are a guest with us, a real special welcome to you. I hope I have the chance to, to meet you and to also, more importantly, introduce you to some people in this incredible church family here and uh, help you get to know them and be blessed by them as I have as well. Today's passage talks about God's healing. And I have personally seen God miraculously heal people. I'm thinking of Carol, who came to us, a woman who had a cancerous tumor. She had an x-ray, knew the tumor needed to be removed, had seen it, came to us as elders in the church and asked for prayers, the scriptures uh, encourage. And so prayed for her, and then she went into her pre-op, and the doctor said, you know, I want to make sure we know exactly where this tumor is, and so let's just take one more x-ray so we can just have the exact entry point that we need took the x-ray and came back and just said, ma'am, he says, I don't know if you believe in a God, but there's no other way to explain this than God has miraculously healed you because here's the x-ray with the tumor and there is no more tumor here. God miraculously healed her. I know people that like uh, Mike and, and Sue Dale, who for I think it was about six plus years were trying to have kids, lots of practice, no success right? And he was a doctor, so they had not only the availability to try things like in vitro fertilization, but also had the money to be able to do it not once, but several times. No babies, right? Breaking their heart, came, asked for prayer. And as best we can tell, that very night conceived their very first child after having been prayed for. I know people Matter of fact, a friend of mine in seminary, as I went through seminary, he had to have both a cane and a little like a semi-wheelchair type situation because he was in so much pain that he couldn't barely function anymore. He is now very active. He is completely healed of that. God miraculously heals people. I've seen it. I can personally attest to it. I've also known people who have followed Jesus faithfully, who have died of cancer never to be healed in, in this life. I know people that have wanted to have children and never had. I know, I know people that have wanted to be married, have prayed that God would bring the spouse and to this day are not married. I know people that are struggling to this day. I talked to some of them after the last service who are struggling, even though they've prayed for pain relief, still struggling. So how are we to understand what God wants us to know about his healing power in the midst of these realities. As some of you know, this is personal for me too because I deal with chronic pain and have for many years. I am in pain 24 hours a day. Probably some combination of the way my body's formed and then too much football, too many surgeries, and too much metal in my body. I've had somewhere around 12 plus surgeries. I'd have to go back and count. Last night, I had a dream that I was in pain. I woke up and I realized it wasn't a dream, yet again, that's the reality of what woke me up. Some of you probably noticed this. You probably wondered, why is he sitting when everyone else is standing? <laughs> or maybe I've been talking to you and I've been doing this. Well, the reason I'm twisting and contorting and stretching is because my pain's escalated to the place where I'm trying to find something that's going to take it down a notch. And I have been someone that has gone to people who apparently have the gift of healing. I have had people pray for me on numerous occasions, and I'm still in pain. I have gone to doctors, as I said, surgery after surgery. Has it helped? Yeah, some. But I'm still in pain. And I find myself going, God, 
what do you want me to understand about you? And then to be even a little bit more vulnerable, I find myself going, what's the deal, God? How come you're healing this person? And I'm not getting that healing. I'm fully surrendered to you. I'm keeping asking prayer. I'm looking at all the sin in my life, whatever the case. How come I'm not healed? And I found myself, even in those places, of beginning to get depressed and angry with God. So how am I, God, to understand your power to heal in the midst of chronic pain that is not going away? Well, thankfully, today's scripture is one of the places that gives us a glimpse into God's heart and truth regarding his healing. We're continuing our study of the gospel of Mark. We're at Mark chapter 5. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. Today, we're going to see two women healed. The, the first that we read about is Jairus' daughter. And this story kind of frames the other story. Jairus' daughter is a person, a young woman near death. Okay, And so we are introduced first to that, and then at the very end, we'll, we'll come back to that. But in between, there's this story of a woman who has internal complications. She's bleeding continually. And in the midst of this, we get the idea that Mark wants to draw our attention to some important stuff just by looking at the amount of passages he gives to this. See, because Mark, as you've heard, is one that is all about immediately, immediately, moving on about how God is doing things and it just happens rapid pace, one after another. Matter of fact, the gospel of Mark is the shortest of all the gospels. Yet in this case, Mark slows down, a little bit at least, (laughs) to draw our attention to some important details and gives us more detail than, say, any of the other gospels. So Mark's account of this and what happens here has more detail by the length of twice of Luke. Okay, so there's twice as much text here as in Luke. Three times as much as in Matthew's gospel. So he's trying to say there's some important stuff I want to draw your attention to about God's power to heal. So if you haven't already, please turn to Mark chapter 5. Yes, it will be on the screen as well. But I think it's so important for us to see it personally in our own Bibles or Bible app, whatever you might be looking at and get comfortable with that, be able to take notes, whatever the case might be. So everyone there? I'm not seeing any pages turning, so all right, that's a good sign. We read right away in verse 21 of Mark 5, that when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. Now, thanks to modern technology, and Spencer, our uh, resident technological expert, We don't have to just think about this, but we can actually visualize, thanks to Google Earth. So up top left, you see Italy, you see Egypt down here, and then Saudi Arabia. We're moving in to Palestine or modern-day Israel, particularly focusing on the Sea of Galilee. Okay, So last week, we're looking at the demon-possessed person and God's deliverance of them. That's exactly where that would have taken place. We know that by archaeological ruins. I've actually been there, seen some of it, and so they've been able to, based on the names and everything, be able to pinpoint it. So people there are not really happy with them about delivering demons, so they are off, heading across by boat, as we uh, have heard, to the northwest segment of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus is teaching, and then we'll encounter these two different women. So isn't that cool? If you want to picture it even more, it's like um, the Sea of Galilee is roughly uh, the size of Lake Washington. 
So the demon-possessed person was happening in Renton, and now they're traveling to the University of Washington with the Huskies over there, right? So that's about, no, no uh, Mercer Island in the middle though, okay? But that's roughly the, the distance that's going on. Now, aside from just providing a location and kind of helping us pinpoint where everything's going on, this also right away is highlighting a very important truth about Jesus and his ministry. Jesus wasn't sitting forever at the synagogue Sunday in, Sunday out, just teaching, right? He wasn't just teaching his disciples one-on-one, but no, he's constantly moving on the move to different locations, looking for, pursuing the people who are hurting, harassed, or spiritually helpless. And so the disciples are learning right away that, hey, if we're going to be following Jesus, we can't stay put, right? Although it's really great, you know, having this wonderful one-on-one teaching times with him. Although we love it when everyone, we're kind of around the famous person who's just healed and kind of, you know, it's cool to be around him and stuff. Well, sometimes, sometimes they're getting upset and kicking them out of there, right? Which is the case of the story it just came from. But Jesus is constantly going to those hurting, harassed, and helpless people, right? Even in this few chapters that we're in, chapter, what is it, four, you know, it's the disciples who are fearful, Jesus is speaking into their lives, right? And he heads over down to Renton and is dealing with the demon-possessed person, right? And then from there is now with these two women. And then after these two women, we'll be with these religious leaders who are spiritually bankrupt and hurting. So if we want to be following Jesus like the disciples were following Jesus, an important question for us to consider is, are we staying where it's cozy and comfortable? Are we going to the hurting, harassed, and helpless around us right now, because that's where Jesus is. If we want to follow Jesus, we're going to be reaching out. Now, some of us, we don't need to go very far, right? There are neighbors, there are friends, there are people at work. Whatever the case, my question is, are we going to them and praying, Jesus, what are you doing here? How can I be an encouragement to these people? How might you want to speak into their lives? So Jesus is on the move, going to these people, and we see him right here in Mark chapter 5, Again, in a crowd of people and reaching out to these hurting people. Follow along as I read, starting in uh, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And this woman had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? As we've heard in previous weeks, You pay attention because he knows who touched. This is God, right? There's a purpose in why he's slowing down here. 
So Jesus is on the clock, right? He's already heard from Jairus that his daughter's near death. Got to get going here, right? Real important situation. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of this, he pauses to address and interact with this woman. He could have kept going, but he paused. And I can only imagine what might have been going on in Jairus' mind at this point. He's like, uh, Jesus, did you not hear me? She's near death. Come on, we got, we got to get going. But, but he doesn't say anything. I'm struck by the faithful posture of Jairus. Jairus is someone that, as we read what in verse 22 and 23, it says, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly. He's unabashedly begging Jesus to heal his daughter. He's all out there saying, please, will you do something? And he's pushing aside the societal pressure that he might have been thinking. I mean, this is a religious leader, right? He's in a crowd. People are looking at him. I mean, I can imagine him thinking, well, what are people going to think when they find out I don't have it all together? I got a problem that I can't fix. No matter how much I follow that religious law, things aren't well with me. I mean, I'm not exhibiting this total well-being or, or shalom. We call it peace, right? And he's concerned about what others might think, but yet he's pushing that aside and he's coming to Jesus, begging Jesus. Jesus pauses and instead of getting upset and going off, he stays in that place. He continually is trusting Jesus for what only Jesus can do in the life of his daughter. This humble, unabashed pursuit of Jesus, we see then modeled again by this woman. This woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. Okay? She's hemorrhaging. And in that culture, that if you are hemorrhaging, it makes you ceremonial unclean. Can't be going to the synagogue. Can't be going to church and into worship. Right? And if you touch anyone, anyone you touch is also ceremonial unclean. Okay? So it's a bad situation where you're isolated. You're kind of just off by yourself, right? Can't be around people. So this woman wasn't supposed to be out in public around people, and she certainly wasn't supposed to be initiating, touching anybody around her. Yet we see her publicly pressing in to connect with Jesus. I believe she's very aware of the restriction that we would read in places like Leviticus 15.27, if you want to throw that up on the screen, um, where it says, Whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash their clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Okay, I think she was aware of this, and I think some, that's some of why she discreetly is interacting with Jesus. Verse 27 tells us she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, even if I just touch his garment, I will be made well. This woman, like Jairus, is this striking example of pushing aside whatever doubts and fears in their own mind, whatever societal shame, and unabashedly falling at the feet of Jesus trusting what Jesus may or, or may, may not do. As I studied this, one of the first questions that came to mind for me, for us to ponder is, are we willing to be like these two people and unabashedly reach out to Jesus for where we need healing? Physical, spiritual, emotional healing. We, like them, can have that societal, uh, and I'll call it personal shame, that can keep us from doing that. 
right? Our own doubts and fears. We can begin thinking about things like, well, what are other people, what are they going to say when they see that I have a problem that I can't do anything about? What are they going to think? What are they going to say? Or what if I'm not healed? What if I put myself out there and then I'm not healed? Then what are they going to think and say? Not just about me, but about Jesus. I can relate to that question. With my chronic pain, when I first started experiencing it after graduating from college, I didn't tell anyone. I'm working in a church. I didn't want to tell people because then they're going to think, well, Jesus can't heal or there's something wrong with you, right? Didn't even tell my own family initially because of questions and doubts like this, that inner struggle that's going on. And let's be clear. If we weren't clear enough last week as we looked at the passage right before this, there is an enemy. There are demons. And their number one job is to keep us separated from God. And one of the ways that they will do that is through very subtle distortions of the truth, getting us to believe lies about who we are, who God is. And we can fall into that. Maybe in situations like that, begin to wonder, well, maybe God doesn't have the power to heal anymore. Maybe that's just something he did way back when and for whatever reason, no more. Or, you know what, he hasn't healed and nothing good is going to come from this. Maybe God just really doesn't care about me. Maybe, I mean, he, he kind of cares, but he's just kind of letting me go off and nothing good's going to happen as I struggle through this. All these questions and doubts and fears can keep us from drawing near to the one who heals. So an important thing for us to consider this morning as we dive into this passage is are we willing to boldly admit when we have a problem, when we have that need, and to trust Jesus and to continue to trust Jesus to bring the healing that only he can bring. I've learned a lot and, and respect greatly my friends uh, and some family members who struggled with addictions, addictions like to alcohol or, or to, to pornography. I respect friends that I've seen who have had abuse and there's deep hurt and pain. I respect a lot of people that I've seen struggle with depression and press through to that. All these people continually, not just trusting Jesus once, because it's not oftentimes a quick fix, but continually pressing in and trusting Jesus and what he would have them happen. It doesn't happen overnight. But man, I was uh, just even yesterday with someone uh, from our church who has struggled with some very hard, painful stuff, as well as some very sad uh, addiction stuff. And I talked to them about five years ago. And I so respect this person who has stayed on the course of trust in Jesus. And so exciting for me, even yesterday, to hear them say, all right, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing what God's doing here. There's times that he said, I doubted if anything good was going to come through all this. But I can tell you confidently, God has done something good in my life. You know, for us as a culture, it's so easy when we see someone continually struggling, be it with, you know, stuck in a place of hurt, stuck in an addiction, stuck in a depression, whatever it might be. When we see those type of people, it's easy for us to, well, we'd never say this, but we start thinking, right? Like, what's wrong with them? Why, why can't they get their act together? Gosh, look how hurtful they're being to people around them, right? And we'd never say that, or I hope we wouldn't. 
but we begin to internally begin judging them. We begin to maybe even distance ourselves a little bit from them until they can get their act together, right? So to admit we have a problem and we can't do anything about it takes a bold faith. To continue to stay in that place of trust takes a bold faith. And it's the very faith that Jesus will do his good work. Will do his good work both in the moment and over that long haul. That good work of leading to the healing that we so desperately need. As this text clearly shows, let me be very clear as well. Jesus has the power to physically heal. We see it in verse 29. It says, Immediately the flow of blood dried up for this woman, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And this isn't the only place where we see physical healing in Scripture. Think about, well, Matthew chapter 8, which you'll see up here in a bit. The centurion who's going to Jesus for the healing of his servant. Scriptures tell us in verse 5 there, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus says, or the centurion goes on to say, For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, known in Israel have I, nowhere in Israel have I found such faith. The bold faith of the centurion was one where Jesus wasn't even physically present, and his servant is healed. It's the same time thing that can go on for us in this day and age where Jesus isn't physically present. He's present through us, the body of faith, and he still can heal that we see like we see in the life of the centurion. Now, hold on to that truth and then hold on to this truth as well. Jesus has the power to heal and Jesus doesn't heal everyone. Both are true. And we see that in this passage. Jesus is healing these two women, but there's an entire crowd. Jesus didn't pause forever and go to every single person and heal every single person that was present. Jesus, the one who suffered, who was mocked, who faced persecution on his own, right? Who at, before the cross said, if it's your will, Lord, take this from me, but not my will, but your will be done. There's that place of trust. Jesus didn't use his power to escape death, but entered in in a way that, well, has brought our very redemption that we celebrate. Not every sick, hurting, physically hurting person is physically healed back then or today. And make no mistake, it doesn't mean that God's absent or doesn't care. No, he cares very deeply and is present and empathizes. And what he's most concerned about is the state of our souls, making us right with God. Because no matter what the pain and the suffering that we have, if we're right with God, as Romans 8 says, everything will work together for good. He knows when we're right with God, whether physical change happens or not happens, it will be well with our soul. We will be good. 
And we see this in this passage as we go on. And the third thing I want you to hear and to hold on to is this. While not everyone is healed physically, Jesus offers spiritual healing to everyone. That's available to us. And we see that highlighted in the rest of Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 30. Follow along again as as I read. Verse 30 says, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? You know, it's like, Jesus, there's lots of people pressing in against you. Why are you asking that? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the only time that I'm aware of in the New Testament that Jesus addresses a woman as daughter. He's trying to highlight something very important, the most important thing, that this woman is now a daughter of God. The creator of the entire universe that created her is her God, resides with her by faith because of Jesus and what he will have done. She has a relationship with the creator of the entire universe. What could be better than that? Amazing. Jesus is highlighting for her, this is what you really need the most. The healing of your soul and your relationship with God. And Jesus further emphasizes this spiritual healing as he says in verse 34, Daughter, your truth has made you well. Go in peace and be healed from your disease. Now wait a minute. Didn't we read in verse 9 that she'd already been healed? So what's this disease of which Jesus is referring now to here? When he says, be healed, it's the affliction of her soul that would keep her separated from her Lord and Savior. And Jesus has now healed this as well. She can go in peace, that shalom, that sense of total well-being, having received not just physically, but spiritually the healing from God. In dealing with chronic pain, one of the things I've noticed and was, again, talking to someone after the service about is how easy it can be to focus and only be concerned about the physical realities of life. It's like I can't even see anything when my pain is kicking in at high gear. It's like everything else around me just kind of gets crowded out instead of seeing the total picture of what's going on spiritually and trusting that. And I can find myself, well, not just getting frustrated, but there's been times where just out and out depressed. Depressed like, what in the world is going on here? Although I wouldn't in those times admit it because you're a pastor and you're not supposed to admit those kind of things. But the reality of the matter is, yeah, I was there. Okay? And then, you know, another way of uh, kind of responding to those is you can turn to different ways of coping, right? So we have socially unacceptable ways of coping. And then we have the more acceptable ways that are still nonetheless like addictions, right? Like turning to food repeatedly over and over. Uh, People would say to me, oh, Tommy, you're a foodie. No, there's been times where I've been turning to food far too much, trying to medicate what's going on in my heart and soul. Another socially acceptable way would be uh, working. 
60, 70, 80, 90 hours. I call it a forced productivity so it can feel good amidst everything else that's not feeling good. You know, socially we would say, oh, isn't that wonderful? That person's just such a hard worker. No, that person's a workaholic. And we need to name it for what it is. And not only name it for what it is, but get beneath what's going on and come before Jesus with what's really stirring in those deeper places. I found in my life how easy it is for me to be focused more on the gift than the giver of the gift. How easy it can get to be preoccupied with the miracle instead of the miracle worker. And when we do that, it's a bad place because everything in life is then distorted, right? How we understand God, how we understand our conditions in life. If we get that backwards, it's a massive bad distortion. So I encourage us to pay attention to where that might be true in, in our lives, where all of a sudden we've placed the gift as more important than the giver. We've placed the miracle more important than the miracle worker in our relationship with that God. I was really inspired uh, by spending time with our missionaries. As some of you know, I was in uh, Thailand, Vietnam, and Cambodia over the past few weeks. And um, man, I was blown away. And I, I could give you, I'll give you two examples here. One was talking to a missionary who a family member was killed over in this region. His wife had family members who were imprisoned in the same region. You want to guess where they were primarily focused on sending missionaries and serving to that very region? The same place that had killed a family member, that imprisoned family members? I mean, what leads to someone being able to, to, to do that? Or how about another uh, person that, uh, while we were at the retreat together, got news that not just the church, but his very home had been broken into, things stolen, the place just ravished, just turned over, a disaster. And in talking to him after, I mean, he was just, literally, he was just stunned. As we're starting the session, I see him, I'm like, hey, what, what, what went on? He goes, I just got this call. And then, you know, he's just kind of stunned, and I'm encouraging and say, oh, man, I pray. And, and then in that stunned state kind of says, well, please pray that this person, and I'm thinking he's going to say, he's going to come to justice. He's like, that somehow this person would come to know Jesus. He goes, I think I know who it might be, someone he'd been serving. And he's like, would you pray that somehow God uses this, that they'll come to faith in Jesus? These are people that I'm loving seeing that despite what miracles they've seen, they've seen it. Despite what miracles they haven't seen, they are continually trusting Jesus. And in that place where their faith has grown strong, their confidence in who they are and who God is at this place where they can love their enemies and pray for those that are robbing their very house. I'm like, I want that kind of faith. That's awesome to see how God has strengthened them in the midst of prayers not answered, in the midst of difficulties. God causing them to be an incredible witness. It's like Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, they are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed because they're trusting the miracle worker, the giver of good gifts, even when the gift and the miracle isn't happening or they're not sure what is going to happen. 
Well, as Mark concludes this story that we're in today, we see people around that are focused mostly on the gift or the, the, the miracle. And while Jesus has been changing the life of this woman who's hemorrhaging, this woman who's now the daughter of God, Jairus receives word that his daughter has now died. And basically the people around him are saying, just give up, you know, nothing's happened. You know, you can just hear their mocking voices. And Jesus's voice is what's recorded, though. I love it. Jesus immediately speaks to Jairus and says, don't fear, only believe, only believe. And then they went to his house together where it picks up, if you want to look at it, in verse 38. It says, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at Jesus. You want to see with that distortion I'm talking about? Here's a picture of it, right? The miracle worker is present and they're laughing, mocking him. What are you talking about, right? You want to see how the distortion plays out? It's people that are weeping, wailing loudly as those without a hope because they don't have a hope. That's what happens when we place the gift and the miracle over the gift giver and the miracle worker. But Jesus, <laughs> I love the word but, it disqualifies all that stuff and focus on what's important. But Jesus put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And Jesus strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give something to eat to her. So she's not got her resurrection body. Let's make no mistake. She still has physical needs, needs some food, take care of her, right? But then there's that curious statement that we hear in the gospel several times where Jesus performs a miracle and he strictly charged them that no one should know about this. Why do you think that is? I think Jesus knows the propensity of our hearts to get too focused on the miracle and miss the miracle worker. Too focused on a healing physically and miss the spiritual healing. That's the most important core of what we really need to see happen. And for those around, again, he's saying, hey, don't miss the real healing that I'm offering to all of you. One more story of someone I really admire. Um, was with him down in the landing. We are eating out at uh, Wild Finn. This is a person that uh, I knew had cancer. And you could just tell by physically looking, was losing all their hair. And um, it wasn't looking good. They were coughing and wheezing. And, and so I, I said, I, I can see you're physically struggling. Um, how are you doing emotionally, spiritually? What's, what's going on for you in the midst of this? I was blown away by what I heard. Blown away by the honesty. The woman said, you know, to be honest, I, I've, I've struggled trying to figure out what, what God is doing in my life around healing or not healing of this, what he's in the midst. And she goes, in the midst of that, as I was praying, God made very clear that I had an opportunity 
that I've never had before to people that desperately needed it. She goes, my ministry now? She goes, I need to be ministering to the other people that have cancer, telling them about Jesus, praying for them, encouraging them. I, I, I need to be telling these doctors about the one who gives me hope, even though my body may eventually, and will for all of us one day, die physically. She goes, that's my ministry. And I'm like, wow. Love seeing that bold faith that says, yeah, I got, I got a problem, but I know the Savior and Lord who's healing my soul and can heal others, and I can't wait to tell them about that, encourage that they too might know that spiritual healing. God can heal physically. God does not heal everyone physically. God offers spiritual healing in the deepest part of our hearts and souls to everyone. Will we admit that we're in need of that and unabashedly fall at his feet as our Savior, as our Lord, whether it's for the first time or whether it's continually? Will we push aside the voices around us, whether it be internal voices go, maybe nothing's going to happen. Oh, what are they going to think about me when they find out that I got something I can't control? Will we push those things outside? Will we say no to the demonic lies that say God doesn't care, that God can't do anything, that you never will get better, that this spiritual healing, that's just religious talk. Will we say no to those and instead press in to a God who longs to bless our souls and the souls of others around us with his life-giving, life-saving, life-changing presence. I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment for all of us. I also invite you, if you would like, to, to come join me uh, afterwards while we're singing right up here. Jim, if I can put you on the spot, one of our elders, a godly man. Jim, if I could have you up here to pray. If you want to receive God's grace, you want to be prayed for, come up. Don't wait till after the service. I'll be here after the service too. But just unabashedly come right now and receive prayer, receive encouragement. As we sing this last song, we'll both be here. Happy to pray with you. But let's, uh, as we're entering into this last song, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you know what we need and you continually pursue us hurting, helpless people. Thank you that because of you, we're not without hope. Thank you because of you, God, that you can speak your healing words in ways that, yeah, some of us will receive healing, be it from sickness or other things. God, I'm thinking of that time when you had people pray for me. <laughs> and nothing happened physically, but man, that depression got broke free as you spoke to my heart, as you liberated me from the lies that I was believing. Thank you, Lord, for your healing power that speaks the deepest part of our souls. God, help us push aside the thoughts of the crowds, our own doubts and fears and the lies that we might believe. Help us both in this day and then continually keep pressing and trusting you for the good that you will be about. God, for those that are here today and need those prayer, I pray whether it's with me or whether it's a, a trusted friend that they would seek prayer, that be known, that they'd reach out for the grace that you want to bless them with. Thank you, God. Thank you 
for your healing presence. Thank you for the gift of knowing you. There is nothing better, nothing more important. So again, in this day, we choose to keep trusting you, looking to you, and enjoying the gift of this relationship no matter what comes our way. And it is for your glory, Jesus, and in your name that we submit ourselves again. Amen.